Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Blackhawk Church. My name is Matt, and, uh, and I'm the senior pastor here at Blackhawk Church. And welcome to everyone who is joining us online at all of our sites and venues. Hey, everyone in here, would you join me in helping everyone just feel welcome to the service right now? Blackhawk Downtown, Blackhawk Fitchburg, Gospel Fusion, Traditions, BCM, online people. We're glad that you're joining us, and obviously all of you live in the room really glad that you're here right now. So it's great to be able to be together. So at all sites, all venues, you just heard uh, somebody, one of your site pastors, venue pastors, one of your hosts get up and talk about everything that is coming up at this particular time at Christmas. And I... I love Christmas season. I just love it. I love everything about this particular time. And I love all the opportunities that our church has to be able to love on our community in a really unique way where the door is open to be able to invite people into what it is that we experience all the time. And so as your senior pastor, I just want to talk to any of you who consider Black Hawk Church your home. Like you would look at it and say, yep, this is my community. I want to encourage you right now, like, would you just lean in with us? Would you lean in with us as we move into this month? Like, if you're coming to the live nativity this next week, would you look at maybe inviting some people? Or if you're, if you're a college student who comes here on a regular basis, you're going to come to study day, would you invite someone? Would you jump in with us as we have the chance to be able to, like, not just bless our community, but bless our world through Advent conspiracy? Uh, if, 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 you, uh, if you're a person who, who likes making food, would you consider making food for study day? As we are going to have massive amounts of college students here coming up in, in, in just a handful of days. If, uh, if you love our Christmas services that we do around here, would you consider maybe volunteering at one of them and helping out with the massive amount of services that we're going to have as we just open and fling our doors wide open to all kinds of people coming through the doors. And to all of you who give on a regular basis, I just, I just can't thank you enough because it's in a month like this with all of these extra things, extra events, extra opportunities that we have. Like it's your giving that makes things like this actually possible. And so if you don't give around Blackhawk and you're a part of our community, I just wanna encourage you to take a look at giving to our church. Uh, you know, I know that a lot of people at this time, they, they look at the things and the places that they might be giving at the end of the year. And I just simply want to put Blackhawk Church on the list of the people who you consider with this being your church home. Right now for 2022, as we look at our budget, we're, um, as of right now, just this past week, probably just shy of 8% short of our budget. And, uh, and we would love to finish 2020 true, 2022 really strong so that it takes us in to 2023 with all of the different ideas and opportunities that we have to continue to love our city well. So let's, let's be a church that just links arms during this really unique season and leans in together to see what God might have in store for us. So as we get ready, even with this next week, with all the different things that are starting to come up, can we just take a minute together to be able to pray and to ask God that he would bless this particular season? So would you pray with me? Lord God, thank you so much for the opportunities you continue to put in front of us as a church. We thank you for this particular month um, and the remembering of you sending your son Jesus into this world uh, to, to open a door so that we can be in right relationship with you. 
God, we pray with all of these different events that are taking place, that you would ultimately use them for, for your glory, that there would be more and more people who come to an understanding of how much you truly love them, that it would change their lives. So we give this to you, Father. Thank you. We love you, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. And all God's people together said, amen. Well, hey, again, I just want to say welcome to everybody who is joining us right now. All sites, all venues, uh, we're so glad that we have a chance to be able to, uh, to be together. And I actually, I want to give um, a little bit of a unique shout out to actually to the 1045 Eastside Live service who is actually going to be watching me on video. Normally you're used to seeing me live on the screen or live on stage, but this week in particular you're seeing me on the screen. And I actually wanted to be able to share this with all of our church on the reason why that is. Um, right after this service, uh, I'm going to be taking off to the airport to get on a flight to fly to South Florida to be with my parents. Uh, for a lot of you, I have, I've shared in the past that my parents, as, as they have been getting up in years, they have had different uh, physical issues that they have needed help with and medical issues. We just found out recently that my dad's lung cancer is back. And on top of that, my mom just fell recently and broke her hip and had to have hip replacement surgery. And so they're in need in this particular time of some extra help. And so Rachel is down there already, and I needed to preach this Sunday, and so I'm preaching. And as soon as I'm done, I'm going home to pack up and, uh, and get to the airport to be able to get down there. So we would just appreciate your prayers in this, in this unique season as I head home to the house that, you know, my parents, they still live in the house that I grew up in. And so one of the things that we're going to get a chance to do, which will be kind of fun as we get down there, is actually to do some decorating for Christmas at the house that I grew up in. That's kind of fun. And, uh, and I don't know about you. I mean, just show of hand, all sites, all venues. How many of you have been decorating for Christmas already? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that's a good amount of people. For my family, we've been decorating for Christmas. I just, I love this time of year where we are getting ready for Christmas and everything starts to look like Christmas. You know what I'm talking about? But there's something else that I love in this season that I think it's um, uh, forgotten about a lot of times. And that is, I, 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 there is something unique about when things start to smell like Christmas. You know what I'm talking about with like Christmas smell? You walk into somebody's house maybe for a party or something like that, a Christmas party, and you, you walk in, it just smells like Christmas. For me, when I think of Christmas smell, I think of, um, well, sort of some of these things. I think of like, okay, like a pine tree. You know, like, okay, how many of you are the purest, you know, cut your own Christmas tree down people because you want the Christmas smell. And then for the rest of us, we're the ones who put up the artificial tree and we light the, the pine candle, you know, to get the smell. But it's an awesome smell. But Christmas is not just this smell. It's other things with it. You know, I mean, it's, it's, like, it's like gingerbread. How awesome does this little guy look, by the way? So, and, uh, you know, and so it's that, it's mixed with like cranberry as part of the smell and maybe a cup of hot chocolate and then some sugar cookies that are made, of course, and you can't forget, you know, 
Oh, the smell of peppermint. You know, if you're a candy cane person, you know, I mean, and it's, it's, it's not one of these things. It's like, it's like all of them. Oh, that's awesome. So all of them mixed together. I wish I had a fan right now. I want to like waft this out into the room. You can come up one by one and smell this afterwards, but it's hopefully on, on screen. You can smell it right now. I'm trying to get it to you as best as I can. But uh, this smell, it, it just smells like Christmas. Now, here's the thing. It's complex, right? We can't just put our finger on one thing. It's a complex smell, but when you smell it, yeah, you know it. And sure, maybe for you, maybe Christmas smells different. Maybe based upon the family of origin that you're a part of or the culture that you grew up in, Christmas smells different. But you get the idea. We, we just smell this smell. It's a complex smell that, that, that just reminds us of Christmas. Well, the, the reason why I bring that up is because today we are going to look at a particular biblical trait. This biblical trait that we are looking at, um, it, uh, it's complex, It's made up actually of a lot of different traits and it's hard to define, but when we, when we smell it on someone, we, we know it. If, if you haven't been around here at Blackhawk, we are in the middle of this series that we are doing right now called Live This Book, where for this school year, September to May, we're walking through the story of the Bible, Genesis to Revelation. And right now we are in the third section of this series called God Chooses a People, where God has been working. He, is, he has chosen Abraham and the people of Abraham are going to be the people of God, Israel. And, and, and God has given his people kind of an idea of what traits he would like to see in their lives. And so for these weeks in this series, we've been going through some of these traits. So far, we have covered that we are to be a people of God, a people of covenant, a people of prayer, a people of faith, and today, a people of wisdom. But the thing with, with wisdom, I think we could all agree on that wisdom, it's like, it's complex, Like when we try to define wisdom, it's hard to really put your finger on it. But when you see wisdom on someone, when you smell wisdom, is it weird that I keep smelling myself? You'll get the idea. When we smell it on someone, we, we, we know it. My, my guess is, is that um, right now you could probably think of some people in your life who have, have been with you in different seasons that you would call wise, right? Like, can you think of anybody? People like maybe for you, it's a family member maybe like an extended you know, family, family member who you got to spend time with occasionally. Or maybe it was some type of person who had like a mentorship role in your life in some way, like a teacher or an instructor or a coach. You know, uh, maybe it's just a friend that you had, but just who was incredibly wise. And the way that we know that they're wise is because in the different situations we walk through in life, when we come to particular circumstances, we want their opinion. These are like the people that we go to when we're wrestling with someone or questioning something or struggling with something. We want to know what they think. We want to get their opinion on a particular subject. That kind of points towards this idea that this person has wisdom. Yeah, but if I were to ask you like, okay, so what is it in them that makes them wise? You'd be like, I don't know. Because it's, it's difficult to define, but we know it when we smell it. You know, the Bible actually has a lot to say all throughout it on this subject of, of wisdom. And there are actually different characters that are talked about in scripture that are talked about as people of wisdom. Today, we're going to look at one of those people that embodies this idea of wisdom. 
and the person is not Solomon. So I know that for a lot of people who grew up knowing the Bible, the first person we think of when we think of wisdom, oh yeah, Solomon. No, 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 survey says, eh, we're not going towards Solomon today. We're actually going to go towards the person in the Bible who was the first person in scripture actually to be called wise. We are going to take a look at the life and story of Joseph. Now, when I say Joseph, we're coming to Christmas. I don't mean Joseph and Mary Joseph. We'll deal with that Joseph in a few weeks at Christmas. But right now, I'm talking about a different Joseph. If you're not familiar with scripture, but maybe you're familiar with like Broadway, this is Joseph in the amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat Joseph. You know, that Joseph, that's the one who we're going to be looking at today. And uh, just to give a little bit of an idea of his life, just to give a timeline. So we've been talking about Abraham. Okay, Abraham is the father of a man named. Okay, when I do this, just like, like this is where you get to play along. So all sites venues, this is an all skate deal right now. Abraham is the father of. Good. So then Isaac is the father of two sons, Esau and. Good. Jacob had, was a man who had 12 sons. His 11th son was a man named. There you go. You guys are nailing it. So if we take that in the timeline, Joseph is the great grandson of Abraham. That's who we're talking about. And we're going to look at his life today. And his life falls in scripture between Genesis chapters 37 and 50. So if you want to turn to Genesis chapter 37, looking, that's where we're going to begin today. But that's 14 chapters of scripture. We don't have time to be able to cover all of it. But this is an amazing story. It's one of my favorite stories in scriptures. So this is what I want to just encourage you to do. Over this next week, as you're spending time with the Lord or if you're listening to scripture, take time just to listen to this story. It is a fantastic story. And we're going to start in Genesis 37, where we actually see Joseph as a teenager. So if you're in high school right now, Joseph is like around the age that you are. He would, we're told that he's 17. So I think that's like typical, you know, high school junior age, right around that place. That's where we find him at the beginning. And as the story opens, we actually realize that Joseph, well, he's not very wise. In fact, we find out pretty early that he is kind of arrogant and that he is a tattletale. He tells on his older brothers when they're not doing a good job to their dad. And the other thing that we find out is that for multiple reasons, Joseph is daddy's favorite, which never goes all that well and creates all kinds of drama in any family that way. And we actually see that in Genesis chapter 37, if you want to look, starting with verse three, it says this. Now, Israel, Israel was another name for Jacob. Just so you know. Now, Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age and he made him an ornate robe. In other words, the amazing Technicolor dream coat. There it is right there. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and they could not speak a kind word to him. <laughs> like already we're seeing all kinds of family issues happening here galore. And then the, the story gets really interesting is Joseph then from that point, he begins to have these dreams of uh, figuratively of his family bowing down to him. <laughs> He's kind of arrogant. So he tells his family about these dreams, about his family bowing down to him. Okay, just like word to the wise if you ever have dreams 
about your family bowing down to you, like it just might be a good idea to kind of keep those dreams to yourself because it does not go over well with Joseph's family. And his brothers, man, they hate him all the more. And so one day as his brothers are working in the field and daddy sends Joseph out to check on them, well, the brothers decide they're gonna take matters into their own hands and they're gonna kill him. But instead, they decide to have mercy on him by just throwing him into a pit. And then as there is a group of nomadic travelers coming by, these people known as the Midianites, well, they take their brother and they sell him to this group of people and fake his death to their father. And so Joseph now finds himself in a situation uh, traveling with the Midianites to the country of Egypt, where in that country, the Midianites come to the captain of Pharaoh's guard, a man named Potiphar, and Potiphar buys Joseph, and Joseph finds himself as a slave now in Potiphar's house, in a country he doesn't know, with a language that he doesn't know, in a completely different situation and scenario. Now, again, you just have to read this story. Even if you know it, go refresh yourself with it. Because the first thing that we see is as Joseph is in that situation, it says that God was with him. And, and, and so things begin to go quite well for Joseph. And Joseph is moved up actually to second in command of all of Potiphar's house. But then there's a glitch in the matrix. And there is a bump that does not go well for Joseph, all having to do with Potiphar's wife. Many of us know this story, the infamous Potiphar's wife, who kind of has the hots for Joseph. And uh, that's where we pick up the story. Forward to Genesis 39. Genesis 39. Now, Joseph was well-built and handsome. Let me just say, okay, if scripture says that you're well-built and handsome, you're probably a pretty good-looking person to actually make it in the Bible. So, so Joseph is well-built and handsome, and, and after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in his house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. One day, he went into the house to attend to his duties and none of the household servants was inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. Okay, what do we see in the life of Joseph here? He was one who ran from temptation. In fact, I, I would guess that, that, that for many of us, we've, we've heard this phrase before kind of figuratively, in your life, you need to run from temptation. Yeah, that comes from this place, except Joseph wasn't just doing it figuratively, he was literally doing it and running from temptation. Like it points towards a character trait that we see in Joseph's life. What I wanna do during this time today, I wanna look at three different character traits in Joseph's life that together help to make up this smell of wisdom. And this is the first one. It's a character trait that we see him, that we see lived out in the way that he's living his life. It's one that we would just simply call integrity. Joseph was a person of integrity. He was a person 
of, of high character. Integrity would be a word that, like, that we would understand to mean like honesty, trustworthiness. You know, a person who, who, who strives to live responsible and upright, where his, his, his walk matched his talk. And this is something that we see all throughout the life of Joseph. And the thing that we understand from scripture is that, that, that this upright lifestyle, integrity, and, and wisdom actually very much go hand in hand. I mean, I would guess that for the people who you were thinking of earlier, when I asked you, who can you think of in your life who would be a person you would consider to be wise? My guess is the majority of those people that you thought of when you look at their life, you were like, yeah, they lived a life where they were honest and trustworthy and fairly responsible. They were people whose walk matched their talk. Is it because there is something about wisdom where these two things go hand in hand. Scripture even tells us this. Later on in the New Testament, the he, he said this in James chapter 3, verse 13. Who, who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his life, by his good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. Like wisdom, part of the complex smell is this whole idea of integrity. That's the first trait that we see that smells like wisdom. Okay, well, for the sake of time, let's keep going with the story. Because if we go back to when Joseph became a, a slave in Potiphar's house, we, we heard very early on, if you read the passage, that the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in everything that he did. And, and, and so God had somehow blessed Joseph with his ability to everything that he touched seemed to go well. It was like he had this ability, through God-given ability to be able to bring goodness to any situation that he was in. But then all of a sudden, the situation happens with Potiphar's wife. Potiphar's wife lies and says that Joseph attacked her, and so Potiphar now is thrown in prison. And he begins to have a relationship with the prison warden. And the interesting thing is, the prison warden notices the exact same character traits that Potiphar did in, in Joseph, to where it begins to change Joseph's life even while he is in prison. Jump forward to Genesis 39, starting with the second half of verse 20. But while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him and he showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in prison and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Okay, just think about this for a minute. Joseph is a prisoner. The prison warden, how does he know Joseph? Well, just because he's a prisoner. That's all that he really knows about him. But the prison warden begins to notice something in Joseph. He begins to notice that in the, in, in the world that Joseph is living in, the prison, that, that he is able to be one that just brings like this sense of goodness and wholeness and peace and order and everything it is that he touches. And so the prison warden moves him up until all of a sudden you have a prison that's being run by a prisoner. How crazy is that to think about? To where the prison warden doesn't even think about anything under Joseph's care. So we fast forward with the story. All of a sudden there are two new prisoners that come in. And both of them, while they're in prison, they have these weird dreams that they can't explain and can't understand. And Joseph, we find out, actually doesn't just have the ability to have these different types of dreams, but he actually has the ability to 
dreams. And he interprets these dreams accurately for these two people. Well, over a long period of time, word on his ability of dream interpretation actually gets all the way to Pharaoh. And so Pharaoh has a dream. And it's a disturbing dream that he can't explain and can't find anyone who can explain the dream to him. So he is told to bring Joseph in. And so Pharaoh brings Joseph into this situation. And Joseph is able to accurately interpret the dream that there is a famine that is coming for Egypt that has the potential of wiping out the nation and the known world. And Joseph not only interprets this dream accurately, but he actually this is amazing. He's a prisoner and he's speaking to Pharaoh, the, the man in charge of the superpower nation of the world. And he actually makes suggestions to Pharaoh on the steps that he can take to save the world. Pharaoh is just. And these are the words that Pharaoh says in this moment. Go to Genesis chapter 41, beginning with the second half of verse 39. Pharaoh says this to Joseph, there is no one as discerning and wise as you are. You shall be in charge of my house and all my people shall be obedient to you. Only regarding the throne will I be greater than you. Pharaoh also said to Joseph, see, I have placed you in the land of Egypt. Okay, think 30,000 feet now, the story that we're hearing. Are we seeing a trend in the life of, of Joseph. Like, what is it that Potiphar saw, that then the prison warden saw, that then Pharaoh eventually saw? Yeah, God's hand was on Joseph, but it given him this ability everywhere, every sphere of influence that he was in, to bring this and wholeness and peace and prosperity into all of these situations to make the world around him better. That's what Joseph did. There's a, there's a word that is used for this idea. It's a, it's a Hebrew word known as shalom. Shalom is a greeting that is used in Hebrew sometimes, but it's so much deeper than that. It's really, it's a word meaning prosperity. It's a word meaning uh, peace. It's a word meaning uh, and, and prosperity and wholeness, this whole idea. This is what Joseph brought into the situations in the sphere of influence that he was in. So, Another character trait of wisdom that smells like wisdom is this idea of shalom in whatever sphere of influence people find themselves in. So my question to you is, where's your sphere of influence? Like, where are the places that you're set up in your life to have influence? I mean, sure, okay, for none of us, here in the room or any of our sites are on, I think that there are none of us who are in charge of a country. Most of us are probably are not even in charge of a country or, or in charge of a company, however, I, I mean, we all have spheres of influence. For some of you, it could be your neighborhood. Some of you, it's your, it's your household. Some of you, it, it is a, a, a business that you're a part of or a shift that you're on or a dorm floor that you live in or a classroom you're in or a team that you're a part of or a club that you're involved with, a nonprofit that you help with. Where's your sphere of influence? Because one of the signs of wisdom is being these people of God that allow us to use our God-given abilities to bring goodness and wholeness and order and peace into the spheres that God places with us. That's the idea of shalom. And that's what we see through Joseph's life. And this is the thing that brought him to this, this like, position of being second in command of all. 
So Joseph steps into this position. And as, as he's in this position with everything that he's doing, he starts to save up all kinds of grain during these years of plenty that come for the people of Egypt. And then all of a sudden the famine hits. But during the famine, Egypt is prepared and Egypt is saved. But not only that, but the known world begins to know that Egypt has food. And therefore, all of a sudden, this twist in the story happens as, as Joseph's brothers who sold him into slavery are now coming to Egypt to buy food. Have I mentioned that you need to go read this story? So this is such a fantastic story. And we hear this back and forth between him and his brothers as his brothers don't realize who he is, but he very much knows who his brothers are. And so there's this interesting back and forth of travel and all kinds of conversations and Joseph speaking a different language and disguising himself so they don't know where he is. And then finally, Joseph comes clean and tells his brother, he realizes his brothers are dealing with all kinds of guilt issues from having sold their brother years and years and years ago. And Joseph comes clean and tells him who, who he is. Now, let me ask you, does Joseph have the right to be angry with his brothers? Absolutely he does. They sold him for crying out loud. You know, and he has the, enti- the backing of the entire Egyptian military. But what does Joseph do in that moment? It's a verse for, for many of us that, that who know this story that, that sticks out. It becomes one that we go to back into our lives is Joseph's brothers come and they fall before him after their father had died saying, we are your slaves. Joseph says to them, Genesis 50, starting with verse 20, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done and the saving of many lives. How, how could Joseph do that? How could he not just nail his brothers and finally get revenge? Because I don't know about you, but I would be really tempted to go that way. See, Joseph, he had this ability, I think given by God, to be able to see a bigger picture I mean, like really what we would call it is, that, and this is the third trait, he had like a God awareness. What does wisdom smell like? Well, it smells like God awareness. And what I mean by that is the ability to be able to, in some way, like to be able to like see a bigger picture, really, of, of what God is up to. It's, it's like the, the ability to be able to sense and sometimes just have faith that in the situations that we, in, we are in or the situations that we've been in, that God is at work in some way. People, we're broken. We do stuff because of evil all the time. God takes brokenness and uses it for good. And Joseph had this ability to be able to see that. See, these are the three character traits that together, like when we look at them, these three things together, when together. They smell like wisdom. They smell like something different in our lives. So the easy thing for me to do right now would be to say, all right, so today I want you to go work on those things. Go and become a person of greater integrity. Go and uh, try to uh, be a person of shalom. And uh, why don't you try to be a little more aware of God? And how's that going to (laughs) work? Not all that well. 
I, I mean, like we can say that and then we walk out of here and we get into situations that's just not going to happen. So how do we become people of wisdom? Well, scripture actually gives us a picture of what that should look like in our lives. And it all has to do really with our relationship with God and our relationship with other people. We need to be people who understand greater levels of wisdom when we walk with God and when we walk with other wise people. That's the picture that scripture gives. In the book of Proverbs, written by Solomon, who there's a lot about on wisdom if you ever want to take a look. Solomon says this, for the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. And then in Proverbs 4, it says, I will instruct you in the way of wisdom and lead you along straight paths. God is one who desires to, in our relationship with him, to help us not just understand situations, but to become more like God in the process. One of the ways, too, that we become like God is, is when we spend time with other wise people. And it's no surprise, really, what he says, I mean, on this idea, Proverbs 13, walk with the wise and become wise, for a companion of fools suffers harm. Like, it's not a surprise for us to realize that the people who we spend time with in our lives, yeah, we become like those people. We just have this ability to, like, rub off on each other. So, who are the people who are rubbing off on you? And are they helping you to become people who are more wise. You know, for me, when I think about going back to talking about the people in our lives who are um, people of wisdom, one of the first people that comes to mind for me when I think about that, one of the godliest, most wise people I've had the chance to be able to rub shoulders with is my dad. You know, I, now I, I know that everybody didn't grow up with a godly dad. I had the privilege and the blessing of growing up with a godly dad. And um, he is one of the people, one of the first phone calls that I've always made when I've been in different situations. And about, about 10 years ago, I was working here at Black Hawk Church and I was the site pastor for Black Hawk Downtown. Big shout out for Black Hawk Downtown right now. Love you people, come on, special deal, you know, going on there. So, but back at that time, we were meeting at the Majestic Theater, this, this, this bar nightclub theater down about a stone's throw from the state capitol. That's where our church began. And we rented this place out for a few hours every Sunday morning. And, uh, but the thing was, that was the only time we were there. And it was hard to be a 24 seven church in a place you were only renting at that time. And so we had just started conversation with some friends of ours that were looking at the potential of starting a ministry center in the heart of UW's campus, a ministry center that was going to be called Upper House. It wanted to partner with us in a unique way where we would have a 24 seven space for our church to be able to, make, to, to be a part of. And so to my friends at Upper House, I love you all so much. And it's just been an amazing journey to see the way that God has worked. But back at this time, it was just thoughts and ideas. And it was at this particular time that actually I got phone calls within about a week of two friends of mine who were leading churches, one in Atlanta and one in South Florida, both offering me jobs, jobs. And these were churches that I know God was doing incredible things through them. They were friends who I loved and trusted. And so Rachel and I, we were praying through all this, trying to figure out what do we do? Are we going to stay here in Madison? Are we going to move? And it was during that time that my parents, my mom and dad were actually making a trip to Madison to come visit us. And so my dad and I, one afternoon, <laughs> we went for a walk. 
And I just simply shared with him everything that was going on up all over him, all the stuff that was going on inside of me and the thoughts and the ideas. And then I, I shared with him about these two places and, and they sounded pretty good. I mean, for any of you who know I'm from South Florida, I mean, getting back to warm weather would not be a horrible thing, you know, in any way, shape or form. And, and my dad just simply listened and asked questions. And I shared with him everything also that was going on with this potential of upper house and this home for our church and the ways that God was working in the downtown area and on campus. And as I had these conversations with him, my dad, he just, he's a quiet man and he just walked and listened. After a while, he said to me, he said, well, before I tell you what he said, you've got to realize my dad with the role that he plays, being a person of wisdom, he had the ability to influence me in a great way. And my mom and dad have always wanted us to move back closer to home. They would have loved to have had like grandkids living 45 minutes away and us back in the area. I mean, at least where it's like half the distance instead of the distance it is to Wisconsin. They would love to have us back in some place like that. And my dad, as he listened to all these pieces, he said to me, Matt, I don't think you can leave. When I hear the stories of what it is that God's doing here that sounds so unique that you play such a role in, I don't think it would for you to step away from that right now if you want to see the way God's going to use you. That was all it took. And so Rachel and I, we went and made calls to two friends and told them, yep, we were staying in Wisconsin, staying in the cold. <laughs> you know, part of the reason why I stand here today as the senior pastor of this church is because of a conversation I had with my dad who was willing to set aside his desire live in South Florida or closer to home and said, you need to do what God is doing right now. And he had an awareness of the way that God was working and was willing to set aside his own desires for the sake of the big picture. Because that's what wise people do. You see, and in the process of a situation like that with my dad, it wasn't just that I got good advice that day. It was... He exemplified the smell of wisdom that rubbed off on me to make me a person who continues to grow in my wisdom. You see, the, the beauty of, of, of true wisdom is not just that we get good advice, but it transforms the people who we are. And some of you might look at it right now and go, Matt, why do I need wisdom? You know, like, like Matt, I'm 23 and, and, and I just want to have fun and, and enjoy life and do things that way. And someday when I'm older and my hair is your color, I'll be interested in wisdom. But for right now, thank you very much. I just, and, and I get that. But, but the reality is, this is what we've been talking about in this series. God's invited us into his big story. And his desire, the way that we are wired, the thing that brings us true joy is being a part of the mission of what God is doing. And in that, his desire is to use us to make us people of wisdom, not just so that we get good advice, but we become people of wisdom and are able to transform this world that we live in to become more the place that he intended it to be originally. Somebody say amen right now. That's God's desire. And so, 
How are you doing walking with God? And who are the people who are helping you to begin to get the scent of wisdom? Because when we gain it, God uses it. And the world has changed. Let me pray for us. God, thank you so much for being one who desires to give us wisdom more so than we actually want it. I pray, Father, that you would continue to change us and transform us more into your image. Not that we would just get good advice, that we would actually become people who look more like you. That you would transform us more into the image of Jesus. That when people come in contact with us, that they would smell wisdom that can come from only you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.